Welcome to Aunt Blanche's Story Corner. I want to take a little trip down memory lane today, and I hope some of you will enjoy doing that with me. It has been five years now since I started doing my stories uh, in Aunt Blanche's Story Corner, and I have enjoyed it so much, and I hope that I hope I've got somebody out there, too, that is uh, enjoying these stories along with me. When I started, I started with the stories of uh, Beatrix Potter. And uh, just recently, I had someone call and say that they were going to be studying the story of Peter Rabbit in their class at school. So I just thought, you know, I believe I'll do an encore reading of that along with another of my favorite Beatrix Potter stories, and I hope you'll enjoy the fun along with me as I read to you The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter. Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits, and their names were Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. They lived with their mother in a sandbank underneath the root of a very big fir tree. Now, my dears, said old Mrs. Rabbit one morning, you may go into the fields or down the lane, but don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. Your father had an accident there. He was put into a pie by Mrs. McGregor. Now run along and don't get into mischief. I'm going out. Then old Mrs. Rabbit took a basket and her umbrella and went through the wood to the baker's. She bought a half a loaf of brown bread and five currant buns. Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail, who were good little bunnies, went down the lane to gather blackberries. But Peter, who was very naughty, ran straight away to Mr. McGregor's garden and squeezed under the gate. First, he ate some lettuces and some French beans, and then he ate some radishes. And then, feeling rather sick, he went to look for some parsley. But round the end of the cucumber frame, whom should he meet but Mr. McGregor? Mr. McGregor was on his hands and knees planting out young cabbages, but he jumped up and ran after Peter, waving a rake and calling out, Stop, thief! Peter was most dreadfully frightened. He rushed all over the garden, for he had forgotten the way back to the gate. He lost one of his shoes among the cabbages and the other shoe among the potatoes. After losing them, he ran on four legs and went faster. So that, I think, might have gotten him away altogether if he had not, unfortunately, run into a gooseberry net and got caught by the large buttons on his jacket. It was a blue jacket with brass buttons quite new. Peter gave himself up for lost, and shed big tears, but his sobs were overheard by some friendly sparrows who flew to him in great excitement and implored him to exert himself. 
Mr. McGregor came up with a sieve, which he intended to pop over the top of Peter, but Peter wriggled out just in time, leaving his jacket behind him, and rushed into the tool shed and jumped into a can. It would have been a beautiful thing to hide in if it had not had so much water in it. Mr. McGregor was quite sure that Peter was somewhere in the tool shed, perhaps underneath the flower pot. He began to turn them over carefully, looking under each one. Presently, Peter sneezed. Ka-ka-choo! Mr. McGregor was after him in no time and tried to put his foot upon Peter, who jumped out of a window, upsetting three plants. The window was too small for Mr. McGregor, and he was tired of running after Peter. He went back to his work. Peter sat down to rest. He was out of breath and trembling with fright, and he had not the least idea which way to go. Also, he was very damp with sitting in that can. After a time, he began to wander about, going lippity-lippity, not very fast, and looking all around. He found a door in a wall, but it was locked, and there was no room for a fat little rabbit to squeeze underneath. An old mouse was running in and out, over the stone doorstep, carrying peas and beans to her family in the wood. Peter asked her the way to the gate, but she had such a large pea in her mouth she could not answer. She only shook her head at him. Peter began to cry. Then he tried to find his way straight across the garden, but he became more and more puzzled. Presently, he came to a pond where Mr. McGregor filled his watering cans. A white cat was staring at some goldfish. She sat very, very still, but now and then the tip of her tail twitched as if it were alive. Peter thought it best to go away without speaking to her. He had heard about cats from his cousin, little Benjamin Bunny. He went back towards the tool shed, but suddenly, quite close to him, he heard the noise of a hoe. Scritch, scratch, scratch, scritch. Peter scuttered underneath the bushes, but presently, as nothing happened, he came out and climbed upon a wheelbarrow and peeped over. The first thing he saw was Mr. McGregor hoeing onions. His back was turned towards Peter, and beyond him was the gate. Peter got down very quietly off the wheelbarrow and started running as fast as he could along a straight walk behind some black currant bushes. Mr. McGregor caught sight of him at the corner, but Peter did not care. He slipped underneath the gate and was safe at last in the wood outside the garden. Mr. McGregor hung up the little jacket and the shoes for a scarecrow to frighten the blackbirds. Peter never stopped running or looked behind him till he got home to the big fir tree. 
He was so tired that he flopped down upon the nice soft sand on the floor of the rabbit hole and shut his eyes. His mother was busy cooking. She wondered what he'd done with his clothes. It was the second little jacket and pair of shoes that Peter had lost in a fortnight. I'm sorry to say that Peter was not very well during the evening. His mother put him to bed and made some chamomile tea, and she gave a dose of it to Peter, one tablespoonful to be taken at bedtime. But Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail had bread and milk and blackberries for supper. The end. What fun to read about poor little Peter Rabbit again. There's certainly no question about the moral in this story that it pays to be the good old bunnies. There's another story that I would like to read to you that uh, after my times before of reading, I had more people tell me that of all of the Beatrix Potter stories that they liked, that the tale of the two bad mice was their very favorite one. And I thought that was fun. I know when I started reading this series, I had never heard this story before. It was not one like the tale of Peter Rabbit that I had heard as a child. It's the tale of the two bad mice by Beatrix Potter that I would like to share with you now. Once upon a time, there was a very beautiful doll's house. It was red brick with white windows, and it had real muslin curtains and a front door and a chimney. It belonged to two dolls called Lucinda and Jane. At least it belonged to Lucinda, but she never ordered meals. Jane was the cook, but she never did any cooking because the dinner had been brought ready-made in a box full of shavings. There were two red lobsters and a ham, a fish, a pudding, and some pears and oranges. They would not come off of the plates, but they were extremely beautiful. One morning, Lucinda and Jane had gone out for a drive in the doll's carriage. There was no one in the nursery, and it was very quiet. Presently, there was a little scuffling, scratching noise in a corner near the fireplace, where there was a hole under the skirting board. Tom Thumb put his head out for a moment and then popped it in again. Tom Thumb was a mouse. A minute afterwards, Hunka Munka, his wife, put her head out too. And when she saw that there was no one in the nursery, she ventured out on the oilcloth under the coal box. The doll's house stood at the other side of the fireplace. Tom Thumb and Hunkamunka went cautiously across the hearth rug. They pushed the front door. It was not fast. Tom Thumb and Hunkamunka went upstairs and peeped into the dining room. Then they squeaked with joy. Such a lovely dinner laid out upon the table. There were tin spoons and lead knives and forks and two dolly chairs, all so convenient. Tom Thumb set to work at once to carve the ham. It was a beautiful, shiny yellow streak with red. 
The knife crumpled up and hurt him. He put his finger in his mouth. It's not boiled enough. It's hard. You have a try, Hunkamunka. Hunkamunka stood up in her chair and chopped at the ham with another lead knife. It's as hard as the hams at the cheesemongers, said Hunkamunka. The ham broke off the plate with a jerk and rolled under the table. Let it alone, said Tom Thumb. Give me some fish, Hunkamunka. Hunkamunka tried every ten spoon in turn. The fish was glued to the dish. Then Tom's thumb lost his temper. He put the ham in the middle of the floor and hit it with the tongs and with the shovel. Bang, bang, smash, smash. The ham flew all to pieces, for underneath the shiny paint, it was made of nothing but plaster. Then there was no end to the rage and disappointment of Tom Thumb and Hunkamunka. They broke up the pudding, the lobsters, the pears, and the oranges. As the fish would not come off the plate, they put it into the red-hot, crinkly paper fire in the kitchen, but it wouldn't burn either. Tom Thumb went up the kitchen chimney and looked out the top. There was no soot. While Tom Thumb was up the chimney, Hunkamunka had another disappointment. She found some tiny canisters on the dresser labeled rice, coffee, sugar. But when she turned them upside down, there was nothing inside except red and blue beads. Then those mice set to work to do all the mischief they could, especially Tom Thumb. He took Jane's clothes out of the chest of drawers in her bedroom, and he threw them out of the top floor window. But Hunkamunka had a frugal mind. After pulling half the feathers out of Lucinda's pillow, she remembered that she herself was in want of a feather bed. With Tom Thumb's assistance, she carried the pillow downstairs and across the hearth rug. It was difficult to squeeze the bolster into the mouse hold, but they managed it somehow. Then, Hunkamunka went back and fetched a chair, a bookcase, a birdcage, and several small odds and ends. The bookcase and the birdcage refused to go into the mouse hold. Hunkamunka left them behind the coal box and went to fetch the cradle. Hunkamunka was just returning another chair when suddenly there was a noise of talking outside the landing. The mice rushed back to their hole, and the dolls came into the nursery. What a sight met the eyes of Jane and Lucinda. Lucinda sat upon the upset kitchen stove and stared, and Jane leaned against the kitchen dresser and smiled, but neither of them made any remark. The bookcase and the birdcage were rescued from under the coal box, but Hunkamunka has got the cradle and some of Lucinda's clothes. She also has some useful pots and pans and several other things. The little girl that the doll's house belonged to said, 
I will get a doll dressed like a policeman. But the nurse said, I will set a mouse trap. So that is the story of the two bad mice. But they were not so very, very naughty after all, because Tom Thumb paid for everything he broke. He found a crooked sixpence under the hearth rug, and upon Easter Eve, he and Hunkamunka stuffed it into one of the stockings of Lucinda and Jane. Well, I know for every little girl, including me, that ever had a doll's house, that it was such fun to be able to totally pretend once again in the tale of the two bad mice. I hope you enjoyed this travel down memory lane with me and that you'll join me again in Aunt Blanche's Story Corner. <laughs>